Hi everyone, just a note before we start. This episode includes discussion around some sensitive material and topics such as physical and mental abuse and sexual assault. I mean, what became very clear is that they just felt that they were ruined and that their lives were mm. ruined and that they would never be accepted within the community. Beyond repair. Yeah, exactly. And that they would, they would never be accepted again within the community. And, to be honest, our experience when we went into this community was that. Like, people were saying to us, why are you working with these girls they're hopeless, they're, you know, worthless, um, they're really aggressive, they're really angry, they're really dangerous, like, you shouldn't be working with them. Why not work with some of the rest of us like that? You know, mm. they, they couldn't understand why we were trying to help these, these girls. Hello, and welcome back to Floodlight, a podcast from us here at the Anti-Slavery Collective that looks to raise awareness of modern slavery by sharing stories and speaking to interesting people that are looking to combat it in their own way. I'm Eugenie. And I'm Jules. And for the last nine years, we've been passionate about fighting against slavery in all its forms throughout the world. While it's tempting to think that slavery is a problem now firmly in the past, there are currently more people in slavery than at any time in history. So it's very much a modern problem. And those most likely to be affected by it are women and children. This week, we spoke to Dr. Katie Robjunt. Katie is a consultant clinical psychologist who specialises in treating PTSD and other trauma-related disorders in asylum seekers, refugees and victims of trafficking. She has done some incredible work with victims of sexual gender-based violence and child soldiers in the Democratic Republic of Congo. She has also worked within specialist PTSD services in the NHS, the charity sector and in conflict and post-conflict settings all over the world. It is such a joy to have you here. And we spoke briefly on the on the Zoom um, and now we're in person chatting about all things mental health. Um, could you just tell our listeners um, a little bit about who you are and sort of what you do? And, and Sure. So my name's Katie Robchant. I'm a clinical psychologist by background, passionate about mental health generally, but especially my work has taken me in the area of asylum seeker, refugee, survivors of human trafficking, survivors of one slavery. Um, and that's what I love to do, is to, is to basically work with people who've been severely traumatised and help them to get better from that. And what led you into the world of clinical psychology? And once you were part of that world, what made you focus on survivors of human trafficking and refugees and child soldiers? Um, I think generally I've always, um, since studying psychology, thought I'd like to apply it. So mental health is the obvious answer there. Also, I have a very strong sense. Um, I've been lucky enough to meet amazing people along the way who've, who've really kind of helped me to understand that social justice is really important. And the link between mental health and social justice is very clear in asylum seeker refugee work. There is a group of those asylum seekers refugees who are also survivors of trafficking or modern slavery. And just through working with these people, I just became really passionate about these issues. And the complexity is really interesting. I've done a lot of uh, research in this area as well. And um, just meeting with the survivors has been really inspiring to me. Because that's mental health is such an important 
issue and topic and something that only recently I feel like in the past few years has become sort of very much on everyone's radar. But I guess since 2007, were you were you working in mental health and not seeing the kind of uptick that it's been happening now? I mean, have you has it changed for you the field of, of mental health, not just for the specific topic of modern slavery and trafficking or in your friends and how you talk about it with your colleagues or yeah no that's a good question I think it has changed sadly I think um there's less services now I think um which is a shame but you know that's how it is with the situation in the in the world at the moment um but what's wonderful is that people are more able to express these things clearly and honestly and openly and there's an awareness, isn't there, that I certainly feel was never around 10 years ago. Yeah, I think so. And I'm, mental health has become much less of a taboo. I'm curious, when you're working, and we'll come on some of your field trips, but when you're working in Africa, for example, is there the same level of understanding around mental health as we have, for example, here in the UK or the US? I think it's growing, um, that that understanding, I think there is a recognition that if you're not mentally well, you actually can't be very productive. You can't function very well. You can't look after your own needs, the needs of your children, everybody else. Um, so I think there is that growing awareness. Um, and I guess the work that I've done is mainly in situations of extreme trauma, so post-conflict settings usually, and talking about experiences in the war is a way in to talk about mental health so there aren't necessarily the barriers that we might assume that there would be I mean everybody knows what it's like to have those experiences and people also generally know you know what it means to say my mum's not sleeping or she's having nightmares or I'm having flashbacks like people generally do um, have an appreciation of these concepts which are quite universal in some ways and that's such a good point. It's like the concepts are completely universal, but how mm. we describe them or label them doesn't really matter. It's a unanimous problem or feeling wherever you are. Yeah, and I think also something that we're learning today is that our mental health versus what you're sort of looking at in terms of like very, very, very strong trauma, PTSD, or I actually have a friend who referred to a, a PCP. TSI, a um, post-traumatic stress injury, mm-hmm. rather than post-traumatic stress disorder. But I don't know, what what do you think of that? I mean, it sounds like quite a different thing in that sense. I mean, I think the most important thing is that um, we find a way to help people to access the help that is available, um, and we get more help available. And if we have to address that in different language, I don't think anyone really would object to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, if if it's to be accessible, then that's better. And Katie, you've spent um, significant time in Africa and the DRC. We'd love to hear more about those uh, trips you've done and what you've learned and some of the amazing work and publications that have come out of that. Okay, so um, in DRC, we had um, three projects. So we ran a project for um, the implementation of... Um, trauma treatments for survivors of gender-based violence, which is a huge problem in DRC. Um, And then we had a second project which was specifically looking at former combatants. Um, And here is where we have 
so many um, incidences of, of of slavery, essentially. People who are forcibly recruited, child soldiers um, or adults, but forcibly recruited into armed groups um, and working with them on their trauma symptoms, but also high aggression um, and trying to treat the both together. And I think one of the main things that we realised through this work in DRC with the with the child soldiers, especially and especially the girl soldiers, was, you know, it's it's a very false distinction. Are you a victim or a perpetrator? It's just a false, you know, in that context, everybody is both. Like, you know, if you look at the life history of these girls, they'd had severely traumatic upbringings and then they'd been subjected to really horrific um events during their recruitment um, and then they're forced to perpetrate really violent events against others including their friends and family so you know really horrific and I think it, it just made me realize we need to have um, a more a more sort of holistic understanding about how we treat people who are survivors of slavery and obviously Survivors of slavery look very different, right? I mean, can be all sorts of different types of populations. Um, but there are a few things in common, no matter what what they've been subjected to. And I think it's that complete, um, just kind of assassination of identity, really. And you're owned by somebody else. You're controlled by somebody else. You have no strong sense of who you are. Um, Shame and, as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and then and then the difficulties that um, that that leads to, which go outside of mental health diagnostic criteria. So, for example, what we've found is a lot of people are, no matter what kind of slavery they've been um, objected to, um, difficulty with kind of being autonomous, having a sense of agency, being assertive because they're so used to being in the control of somebody else. And, and what that does to a person psychologically is really quite profound. Wow. So how long are you actually embedded with these girls and these people? So our programme in DRC with the, with the girl soldiers was six weeks. So it's very short considering they have really, really severe trauma. Um, but we had really effective outcomes, really good results. Um, and we treated them with a form of narrative exposure therapy. So tell everyone what NET, narrative exposure therapy, is because... We've been reading a lot about that and I find it fascinating. Mm -hmm. So it's a lovely therapy. <laughs> um, it's very human. It's basically storytelling. So you, the initial stage after you've assessed people, um, check what events they've had, check what um, their symptoms are. The, the very first thing you do is um, you lay out what we call the lifeline. So you use symbols. So we use a, a rope to show the life. So we lay it out in a long line and we have a bit of it curled up for the future. And we start at the beginning of someone's life and we say, okay, what's the first major positive or negative thing that happened to you? And for positive events or positive people in their lives, we mark them with flowers. With negative events, we put them as stones. So traumatic events are, are placed down as stones. Um, and then we also use sticks for events where they've perpetrated violence against others. And it's just a very culturally um, applicable way. <laughs> um, it's, it's acceptable in so many different cultures because it's basically storytelling. Is there a language barrier? 
Um, so we do it with interpreters, yeah. but but our projects have basically involved training up um, local psychologists to do the actual work. So initially, we start off by doing it ourselves, but we very quickly transfer it so that it's actually local psychologists who are doing the work. And, and one of the wonderful things about NET is that essentially the person then goes through this this autobiography of themselves essentially with the therapist but but at, when you reach a stone the traumatic events at that point you slow right down and you process these events according to what we know from the evidence base is the effective way to do that um to basically reorganize and process the memories in such a way that people recover and that that's the actual agent of change but what the client i think is really enjoying is that you're listening as a therapist to their entire life story not just the traumatic events but all the positive things about them as well you're a human I was yeah. in one of your documents I was reading it says that you're all of a sudden a friend a human someone who's not just doctor versus patient or whatever it is someone who is there for you in every step of the way and I love that because so often I think there's a stigma a little bit around a doctor or going to see a psychiatrist or and actually as you say you're becoming their everything in that moment teaching them that ev- the whole part of their life is is makes them who they are that's exactly right mm. because so many sort of mental health treatments they mm. focus on the problem right and what's wonderful about net is that it focuses on the person what is your life story what are the good things and what are the bad things we can help you with these bad things but let's also look at your whole life story and take that context into account as well. Yeah. Are you able to share with our listeners any specific um, stories where narrative exposure therapy has particularly worked or you've um, seen brilliant results? So I guess with the, with the former child soldiers, um, these girls, they were you know, subjected to the most horrendous experience. The, the typical story was abducted during a village attack during one of the conflicts and um, within 24 hours experiencing both sexual violence to themselves, you know, when they're only children, um, and also being forced to perpetrate very severe violence against someone else as part of an initiation under extreme threat. Um, So they were very, very, very traumatised. What ages are we looking at? So nine to, I think the oldest was 16. Um, So, yeah, very, you know, very young girls. And and I guess already when we first went into this region and we were talking to these women and saying, do you want to have a treatment for this? They were still only, you know, mildly. (laughs) They were still very young. They were only mildly out of the situation and mildly recovered. Um, And... I mean, what became very clear is that they just felt that they were ruined and that their lives were mm. ruined and that they would never be accepted within the community. Beyond repair. Yeah, exactly. And that they would they would never be accepted again within the community. And to be honest, our experience when we went into this community was that. Like people were saying to us, why are you working with these girls um, you know, they're, they're hopeless, they're, you know, worthless, um, they're really aggressive, they're really angry, they're really dangerous, like you shouldn't be working with them. Why not work with some of the rest of us like that? You know, mm-hmm. they, they couldn't understand why we were trying to help these these girls. Um, and I guess, like, 
to be honest, the main thing was just going through this process and, and especially using this particular therapy net. It validates people's experience and it puts their trauma within context. And it says this happened to you because of this human rights context going on around you. Not mm. not anything to do with you being a bad person. Um, and there was a real sense of, I mean, our results showed that they all got better, which is brilliant. <laughs> but on top of that, there was an additional benefit, which was that they basically were able to say to the rest of the community, actually, we're better. We're not having these problems anymore. We're not being violent anymore. Because not only did their trauma and aggression go down, but the, the actual violent behaviour also went down in our study, which was really important because the community was never going to accept them mm. if they were continuing to be violent. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I, I think it sort of just really made me understand that um, you need to treat everything in this holistic way. You need to understand the context. Like trauma happens to people in context and especially within slavery, trafficking. I think that's really important. So now do you keep, do you keep tabs on the girls or, you know, did you, did you follow up with them? Yeah, so we, we did a long-term follow-up study and that was the end of the study. But actually, amazingly, some of them who, who were treated, we are now employing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, so they're now the therapists. <laughs> How incredible, though, that the work that you so believe in is totally being validated by a group of people that you helped. I mean, it's just proves that what you're doing, what you taught, what, what you believe in is, is helping people. Yeah, and the very fact that they're paying mm. it forward shows yeah. that they believe in the benefits of the treatment. Yeah, that's what we were saying about activism. It's all about paying it forward in a way. And if you, if you can do something to help someone else, how, how amazing is that? That's so cool. <laughs> Are there any specific themes that you see when working with survivors of modern slavery or human trafficking? And what are some of the key sources of the PTSD and trauma that you have witnessed? Yeah, I think um, that's the interesting, I mean, that's partly why I'm so interested in working with this population is that, that the, um, there are similarities amongst different groups of survivors of slavery despite what they've experienced um and it's about this kind of giving up of identity having forced giving up of identity um being sold you know being owned um and what i notice especially within the trafficking survivors um is a real lack of autonomy and agency and assertiveness and self-esteem and how much work you have to put in as a therapist to boost all of that, despite the trauma. So you, you, you can treat the trauma and whatever other mental health problems, and, and we should, and, and that's good. But on top of that, there's, there's almost like some kind of key relearning that needs to happen about I'm a human being, and therefore I'm allowed to make a decision about whether I want to have a coffee or a tea. Or, you know, whether I, whether I want to um, say you can't treat me like this or, you know. And, and the, the tragedy, I suppose, is that um, if this isn't treated and, and if people aren't helped to recover their sense of self and all that goes with it, autonomy, agency, assertiveness, self-esteem, then 
you just see people getting into more and more exploitative relationships, even though they're out of the slavery situation. So people think, oh, great, they're out now, they're free. But they're actually not. <laughs> you know, Because there's a repeat pattern in behaviour, whether it's in romantic relationships, friendships or family yeah. relationships in their life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And just not living like the life that they could lead. I think especially for survivors of trafficking and slavery, honestly, some of the survivors that I'm working with, they, they struggle to even realise that they have a say in anything. So to, to go another step and complain about a service or ask for help from a service would be like totally unacceptable, like totally right, yeah. impossible. Yeah. So... I think that's what we need to do is basically to ensure that people have access to services because survivors of, of trafficking and slavery, they're not going to ask for it. We, we, you know, we need to go to them, basically. How do you tell someone listening today who might be in a difficult position or in a position of being exploited to, to sort of help their trauma or help their mental health? or What would be the tools for people to use that don't have access? Yeah, I mean... It really makes me sad to think some people don't have access. Um, and I, I guess I would always say, please, if you have a GP, please go to a GP. If you don't have a GP, please register with a GP because, you know, then you can have access um, to some of these supports. Um, but, I mean, generally, there, there, there are also some kind of self-help materials available out there. And it, it, it just, I mean, there are various kind of websites which have which have them and they are available. Um but I would say if, if you're struggling, do do try and get medical help. And don't worry about it. It's normal. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such a good bit of advice that it is okay to ask for help mm -hmm. and it is okay to struggle mm -hmm. and to need people and to rely on that. I think so often, and not just talking about what the horrific things that people are going through, you know, what we've been talking about today, but in every person, in every walk of life, just lean on someone near you and and ask for help you know I, I'm struggling I need to talk to someone or whatever it is and um how do you then deal with your mental health I mean I always talk about going home and not taking your work home but obviously with yours it's such a different thing how do you you know not take that with you and take that sort of darkness with you I think um to be honest the way that I've dealt with it along my career has always been to think about the benefit, like think about the, the benefits you can bring to people and also to be quite diverse. So to do research and to do advocacy as well as doing just the clinical work. If you, if you just do the clinical work, I think it can be quite difficult. If you try and do things which are um, a little bit more sort of heady and a little bit less emotional, um, and I think that's that's good to do as well. It's been so wonderful to talk to you today, Katie, and thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank you, Katie. We loved having you today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Floodlight and a very big thank you to Dr. Katie Robjant for joining us and what an inspiring woman. Join us next week where we're going to sit down with Nick Baton, the former CEO of ASOS, about the work the company are doing to rid their supply chain of modern slavery. You can also be an activist and join us in the fight against modern slavery by visiting our website, theantislaverycollective.org. And if you want to learn more about what we've discussed on today's episode, head to the show notes and follow the links. Our mission is to raise awareness about modern slavery 
Please help us by sharing and posting about this podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to Floodlight wherever you're listening and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to know about your own activism and who you'd like us to speak to next time. So see you next week. Floodlight is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.